On this episode of Everybody's Doing It with Miss Lolly, I take a virtual class with self-intimacy and orgasm coach Amy Weisfield and report back. I found myself just like taking my clothes off and dancing around the room. There was a gardener outside with a leaf blower. I kept thinking like, is he going to be able to see this? (laughs) Join us for the fun. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. This podcast is about sex. There will be language not suitable for all ears, so be advised. Hi, beautifuls. Welcome back to another episode of Everybody's Doing It, where we talk to experts like you about the role sex plays in our human experience and in our everyday lives. I'm your host, Miss Lolly. Today's topic is a little self-centered, self-aggrandizing even. We're going to dive into sex and sensuality with yourself. Yes, masturbation is part of that, but it's not the only part. Sexuality isn't solely about the act of sex. It's also about attraction, identity, and how you feel on the inside. In my conversations with people about how sensuality and sexuality influences how you see yourself, I noticed the word confidence coming up a lot. So I got curious and started asking people about what part sex plays in their overall confidence and how confidence impacts how they function in the world in general. What is your name and what do you do? Uh, My name is Andrew Verdugo. I am a hired gun bass player and I'm a bartender. How do you think confidence affects what you do and how you do your job? I think it's pretty important. You can't just like walk in and feel sorry for yourself and do anything in life, really. You kind of have to be good at A, pretending or actually having confidence. It's, it's, It's kind of paramount in those two examples of a job, particularly, I think. How do you think having confidence in the bedroom plays in other areas of your life? I think it's separate from your job. You can have confidence in the bedroom just having experience and knowing what you're good at and whatnot and being you know, familiar with your partner and whatnot. It can translate over also. It can make you have a good day afterward. Let's just say you wake up and have amazing morning sex. Your partner's happy, you're happy. Then you go about your day and you're, you just have confidence all day long about it. Certain uh, circumstances, they're separate. I think people separate their sex lives versus their real work lives. So it, it's kind of a case-by-case basis. Do you think if you're confident in your sexuality and your sex life that it carries over into just your general confidence? At least in my case. If everything's going all right with that, then yes. I'm a happy person throughout every other aspect of my life, yes. I'm Molly. I'm a bartender server. How do you feel that confidence plays in your job? I think it's very important. I need to know what I'm doing to be able to make recommendations for my guests, to give them the confidence that I'm giving them good quality service, good quality um, products. How do you feel that confidence in the bedroom plays in confidence in other areas of your life? I mean, I think having confidence overall 
impacts life in general. So if you have confidence in the bedroom, you're going to have confidence elsewhere. I feel like having confidence in the bedroom takes a lot because there's a lot these days that, I don't know, shames people and makes you self-conscious and it's easy to get kind of trapped in that cycle in the mind of like, I'm not good enough or focusing on the imperfections. So having that confident mindset can empower you as a person, which can easily impact other areas of your life. Do you think when you're having a really like confident day where you're like, I'm feeling good about myself, I feel sexy, I feel good, that you do your job differently? I don't know. I, I feel like confidence just like permeates your life. Like maybe it doesn't matter like where you are, what you're doing. Like if you feel confident, it's going to show regardless of whether you're working, having sex, hanging out with friends, like it'll impact all of your life. Yeah. My name is Terry Hoskins. I am a community relations officer for the Mid-City Division, San Diego Police Department, San Diego, California. How do you feel that self-confidence impacts how you do your job as a police officer? I believe it directly impacts it in a positive manner. Personally, I feel confident in who I am, what I do, my knowledge of the job, all of that together provides positive confidence in how I look at and, and actually uh, try to conduct my, my job. How do you feel that confidence in your own personal sexual experiences and sexuality and in the bedroom in general affects your overall confidence in life? I'm very confident in who I am, not just character-wise, but sexually. I'm very confident in what I like, what I want, and uh, that does bring me positivity, which gives me confidence in who I am and what I do, and being respectful and appreciation of everyone's own sexual orientation helps with the understanding of all this, and it definitely provides me with confidence in who I am. What's your name and what do you do for a living? My name is Ryan. I'm a bartender in San Diego. How do you feel that confidence impacts what you do for a living and how you do your job? Ooh, confidence definitely is a big thing because um, no matter what you do, no matter what job you do, bartending, truck driving, CEO of a company, if you have confidence, uh, the people around you uh, feel more comfortable working with you. So how do you feel being confident in the bedroom plays in your confidence outside of the bedroom? Oh, I think 100% it definitely does. It has to, right? Because like... Uh, if you have a nice time in the bedroom, it kind of like you you come out of that like feeling like energized, you go to your job or you hang out with your friends and you're like, you have a little more like life to you. You go back out there in the world and like kind of like almost like spread joy in a way. You're a little more happy, you know. My personal experience, having a good night, even a fun night or even if it's kind of weird, it's still fun. You go back out there in life and you're just like, I I'm always a little more happier. After many of these short conversations about sexiness and confidence, one name kept flashing in my head. Betsy McHugh. Betsy has a thriving boudoir photography business, and she has taken the idea of feeling sexy to the next level. Stick around and find out how. You're listening to Everybody's Doing It with Miss Lolly. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. 
So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. At one time or another, we've all heard someone say, confidence is sexy. But what exactly does confidence look like on you? Betsy McHugh can show you. I first met Betsy 10 years ago at a favorite spot for drinks and conversation, and I've been following her journey ever since. Betsy has made a career out of her passion for photography for the last 17 years. She credits her camera with pulling her out of the darkness after the shocking loss of her husband and business partner in 2016. Betsy spent a year traveling the world with her camera, exploring, soul-searching, and ultimately finding within herself a new voice for her art. She returned to San Diego to rebuild a new version of her business and life when she unexpectedly fell in love again. She let love and art move her to Kalamazoo with her now husband, where she supports and encourages women of the Midwest to fall in love with themselves. My name is Betsy McHugh Gibson. I'm located in Kalamazoo, Michigan. So first things first, what is your job? What do you do? I've been a photographer for 17 years. My photography studio name is Bessie McHugh Pictures. I do boudoir photography nowadays, and I've been doing that the last four years, going on five. The specific boudoir vein of my business, um, we call it Grit and Grace. We take empowering photos for women that are really focused on their entire being and pulling that inner beauty outward so that they can see what everybody else gets to witness in this world and we forget about ourselves and uh, send them through a transformative process. I get a lot of clients who are seeking that kind of grounding themselves or reconnecting with themselves based on various things that have gone on in their life or just life. <laughs> you know, it just kind of, those can be things that just kind of get chipped away at. Wanting more confidence or finding that more self-assuredness is definitely one of the top reasons that I see people come to me. It's also one of the things that gets in the way of people doing this because they think that they need to have the confidence to do it, but the confidence actually comes from the process. Can you describe the process of it? What we do here is a little different. I have a whole journey that I send my clients through from the time that they book up until the shoot and beyond. It's really kind of a self-discovery journey, really helping people get in touch with their why so that they can deeply connect with what they can make out of this. That we're worthy of spending time on ourselves, right? We're worthy of investing in ourselves. We spend so much time, I think, especially as women in our culture, focusing on everybody else's needs and not really focusing on our own ever. And we can't just, we just can't, you know, work from an empty cup. We have like a whole process that we send our clients through during their journey before their session because we want them to be logistically, mentally, and emotionally prepared for their session. And some of these pictures are very intimate. I've seen boudoir pictures and, and what I've seen from you is less posing, wearing, you know, sexy underwear and more exposing a very intimate moment with either themselves or with themselves and the person looking at the picture. There's something that you're doing differently to get your clients to be able to do that with you. So I actually have been formally trained. I've been uh, training with my mentor is Denise Birdsong and she has uh, an art of emotion methodology. It is body language, breath work and facial expressions. This is actually like physiology going on in the mind, like it's actually like mm -hmm. neuroplasticity, right? It actually kind of fires all those synapses in the brain that actually you're feeling those things. 
it's so amazing and so powerful for my clients because if we do these things, we build that muscle memory in the shoot that day, they move forward with that. They know that they actually have that residing within themselves and they can pull it up and conjure it anytime they want. What transformations do you notice in the people that you shoot before and after? I'll try to talk about it without getting too emotional because I get really, I get very attached to my clients. <laughs> then I get attached to like, I want to know like, what do they do next? Because I'm so proud of them. I think a lot of people come to me when they're kind of in that tipping point kind of, of like change or you're in the process of like kind of figuring more stuff out about yourself. Those people really go on and kind of catapult after this because we've kind of built up that whole tank of self-confidence and self-assuredness. Yeah, they're able to connect with themselves and that's carried on to connecting with other people and not just other sexual partners, but it sounds like just the world in general. I've had people go on and they're like, I have been wanting a raise for five years and I haven't asked for it. I went into my boss's office and like pretty much told them five reasons why I'm so awesome and why I deserve a raise. Like <laughs> did that like within two weeks after their session. I'm like, that's so cool. Myself, like growing up, I guess I was always kind of conditioned that I was waiting for somebody else to tell me I'm sexy. I needed that affirmation, external affirmation of some kind. Mm -hmm. And when I started my own boudoir journey, when I started having my photos taken, I discovered I can pull that out. That became a very powerful concept to me, that idea of sexiness and like pulling it up and being able to wear it confidently and in a genuine way, no matter what size I am or age I am or anything, it's really about attitude and it's sprung from that confidence within, right? Yeah. Somebody uh, pointed out to me many years ago that there's a whole industry that makes money off of you not having confidence in yourself and in you thinking that your appeal, your power, your sexuality, that that is all tied to the way that your physical body looks and how other people perceive your body. I was challenged to ask myself every time I thought something bad about the way that I look, who's making money off of that thought? Whatever I was thinking about myself, there's always an industry there that is going to reinforce that negative thought of yourself because it's, it's an industry. And yeah. I love the idea that you are creating a space to counteract that. This online community you've created, it's beautiful. You can see people actively battling the story that's told to them by the outside world and by society and doing it for each other. The group on Facebook is the Grit and Grace Collective. I really wanted to like create a place where people felt like they could share. Community is a very important part of my life always has been. And when I started that group, I, it was kind of a little bit of an experiment in the beginning. I invited women who are friends, who I respect and kind of fall into that same category of people that I would like to work with. You know, and I was pretty transparent with everybody when I started. I was like, you know, I just thought this would be kind of cool to try out. And eventually I'd love to invite my boudoir clients here. But for right now, I just kind of like to see what happens when we mix all these different women from <laughs> all over the world and all different walks of life. So it was more of like a curiosity I had a goal, but the thing about community is like, you can't dictate it, right? Like I can foster it, but I can't create every little bit of it. It needs to have an organic element to it. And I checked back in with everybody. I was like, okay, we've been doing this for a while. Is everybody okay if I start inviting like complete strangers to this group for you? <laughs> everybody was amazing. It was, you know, it's like the more the merrier. And it's quite an interesting mix of people in there. And 
people can be kind of amazing. (laughs) Yeah, especially if you are in a community that was specifically designed to be supportive and not to be uh, competitive. And I think there's a big need for that in a lot of people's lives. How do you feel your understanding of yourself has changed? When I started doing this training, it brought up a lot of stuff for me that I hadn't dealt with. And I constantly have to do the work to be able to show up for my clients to support them in this process and this journey. I grew up in like kind of that very super religious purity culture environment. I've carried a lot of shame and discomfort, I think, with like my sexuality on an, you know, an outward level for a lot of years. And so I think all of this has helped me personally immensely. I can really, truly relate to what my clients are going through because I've been where they're at. You're going, you're on this journey with them. Exactly. My clients tell me like they're in therapy, but something that's come out of this is that they've gotten to feel some of those things that they've been missing. And then they turn around and they have photographic evidence of it. So there's no one who can refute it. If you're sitting there looking at a photo that shows you being magnificent, it becomes undeniable. You're giving to people an experience that's helping them know themselves better and be able to function in the world with a deeper understanding of who they are. It's just a beautiful thing. We often think about sex as a way to connect, explore, and play with others. But can it also be a fun and magical way to discover and connect with ourselves? Amy Weisfeld of Joyful Self Love says, absolutely. Amy is a somatic sex educator and a sexological body worker, as well as a member of ASECT, the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. And she's a certified Betty Dotson body sex facilitator and orgasm coach. But orgasm coach was not Amy's original plan for her life. By 40, Amy had been disappointed with many other career paths, and she had been raising a family who was growing up and didn't need her as much anymore. Then one day, while on a snowy vacation... I went on a ski trip that was not a ski trip. It turned into a drinking adventure because the snow was so terrible. And my kids were getting older and didn't need me quite as much. And on this trip of mine, somebody made a pass at me. And it was an unmistakable pass. And I was just kind of like, what? I'm just this 40-year-old mom. I felt fat. I did not feel inspired. Even though my husband would tell me every single day, you're so beautiful, Amy. I just could not believe it. It didn't land. I couldn't absorb it, right? And so sort of had this experience of dying a little bit, you know, feeling deadened, not through anybody else's fault, but my own and society's stealing from me my radiance, my light, because we live in a sex negative, sex shaming, patriarchal sort of culture, right? And this is what the lived experience of many women is, just a sort of deadening and a dimming. And so these three things that all happened sort of in conjunction woke me up and caused me to say like, what is missing in my life? What could be better? Am I living the best life I possibly can be living? And the answer was no. And I had no idea what was missing. Something propelled me to take a body sex workshop in New York City with Betty Dodson in 2015. And the whole time I was like, what am I doing? I'm just this 40 
40-year-old woman. I'm getting on an airplane. I'm going to New York. I'm exploring my sexuality. Like, what? And yet, there was just some little internal seed of knowing that said, you need to do this for yourself. And I went to this Betty Dodson workshop, and I came away from that. I literally wanted to shake every woman I saw on the streets and be like, are you alive? Do you know what's possible? Are you living your best, most orgasmic life? And that's how I ended up in this in this field. This crazy field of somatic sex education and sexological bodywork and being a masturbation and orgasm coach. I find it interesting that as a 40-year-old woman, it sounds crazy to explore your sexuality. I like it's only reserved for teens and 20s. And past that, you should just put it on a shelf someplace and, and just let it be whatever it's going to be and let it collect dust. And it's crazy that you would want to know more about yourself in, in that way. And not only that, but we are indoctrinated. People in female bodies, well, all bodies, really, we're indoctrinated to make ourselves small, to put other people's needs in front of our own. We have been told to be the good girl or boy, right? And to give, 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 not to fill ourselves or light ourselves up. Also in female bodies, it can be really dangerous to be radiant. So we dim ourselves to avoid sexual assault. We dim ourselves to avoid um, shame. We dim ourselves to avoid, you know, people telling us we're selfish. Which is kind of contradicts the other message of your worth is in your beauty and your worth is in how others want to have you see you you know, turn it on, but not too high up, turn it down, but not too far down, you know. And it's that Madonna whore complex. There isn't a lot of space for anything in between. You're either the virginal woman in white saving yourself for your love, or you're at the other end of that spectrum. And you're, you know, you're the loose woman, you're a whore, you're, you're giving yourself away too loosely. And then there's a lot of societal pressure to not do that. There's also a lot of societal pressure to have a certain level of beauty, but it's never for us. The major shift that I've noticed is less related to body size or image. My own journey into this was really one of body shame. And I see a lot of people still struggling and suffering with that. I also see a tremendous number of people struggling and suffering from performance anxiety because we have these very narrow constructs of what it is to be a man or what it is to be a woman, right? And we're just now starting to expand whatever that means to be a woman or a man to like all of the sort of rainbow of gender spectrum and sexuality that falls between what used to be two very binary positions. I also see sexuality being an important part of our healing and holding in life, particularly for female bodies. But unfortunately, I don't see a lot of shifting around body size. There's still a tremendous amount of fat phobia. There's still a tremendous amount of privilege to folks given to folks who fit within whatever we you know society deems as like beautiful labiaplasty is the fastest growing surgery in the world and we have a lot of feeling in our labia so to think about cutting our labia because it doesn't fit into somebody else's standard definition of what our lady bits should look like right what our vulvas should look like what our labia majora and minora should look like it's frightening for me as a sex educator um, why do you think sexuality is such an important part of who we are as human? It's an important part of feeling the full range of human emotion and feeling good in these beautiful bodies that we have. You know how plants turn towards the sun? 
right? They're looking for their nourishment. They automatically sort of track and turn towards the sun. I feel like our bodies also want to turn towards health and wellness. And I believe that sexuality and feeling good in our bodies and bodied pleasure, for some people, sensuality is enough. It doesn't have to be having sex with another person. But this whole concept of sensuality and sexuality for me is foundational to feeling whole as a human being. Yeah, I think the the main focus for me is usually just the word play, you know, mm -hmm. as being an adult who likes to play. We have so many um, things in our lives that weigh us down that we have to do, the long to-do list, and life can seem kind of like a grind. But then you get this playtime, whether it's with yourself or with somebody else or multiple people, I think yeah. that just really makes life worth living, whatever whatever that play is, sensual or sexual in nature. Mm -hmm. What do you think the role of shame and confidence plays in self-pleasure and pleasure with others? I think first just talking about what shame is can be helpful because sometimes people get it confused with guilt. Shame is basically saying there's something fundamentally wrong with me. I'm broken. I'm not enough. Guilt is... I did something wrong. Of the two, shame is a little more insidious than guilt. It's important to remember that all of these feelings that we have, there, there are biological reasons for them, right? Like biologically, there's a reason for shame. Shame is meant to keep us in the group. It's meant to keep us safe and part of the group. What was the worst thing you could do as an early you know, hominid, early peoples, whatever, you'd be banished was the worst punishment you could possibly receive, right? Because you couldn't survive out there by yourselves, right? So shame is important and it becomes a habitual way of being in the world that confidence and joy and play and laughter and intimacy and connection can all help combat. There are ways of being that get stuck in the body and that then become habitual negative feedback loops. And when we allow ourselves to turn towards pleasure, because optimism and pleasure are choices, right? When we allow ourselves or remind ourselves to do that through things like confidence, through things like body positivity, we lower the vibration on the shame and we rewire using neuroplasticity and increase our body's ability to feel more pleasure. The way you talk about shame is, is very similar to the way a lot of people talk about trauma. Yeah. I feel like shame and trauma really do go hand in hand. And shame can be traumatizing, especially right. if it has been, it started when you were really young and you're, you're, all you know is to feel shame about your body, about how you behave, about your, even your thoughts. I think, you know, in terms of like, what can we do to ditch shame? Just allowing ourselves to be who we are, not needing to fit ourselves into this narrow construct or this tiny box of what somebody else says we should be. Liberating ourselves from shame comes from embracing our authentic selves. And it's not about producing or doing anything. It's about, you know, feeling loved and accepted for exactly who we are. Which is authentic love and acceptance. If you're not who you are, the people around you who love that person, they don't really love who you are. They love this, That's like, right. this character you created. And it's so vulnerable to allow people to see you and, and to uh, embrace yourself too, right? Shame, I guess, is sort of the fear of disconnection. And we're all wired to feel connected. That's a primal need. So being vulnerable, which is often viewed as a weakness, is actually a strength that naturally sort of melts those barriers between people, creates a real heartfelt human connection. And that deepens intimacy with ourselves 
and with others. The whole reason I went to my first Betty Dodson body sex workshop is because I felt I wasn't sure if I was having orgasms. I wasn't sure. And I sort of thought, well, if I'm not sure, maybe I'm not having them. Maybe I'm, you know, this frigid person. Maybe I'm not capable of orgasming like other people. So I went and learned that actually I was having orgasms, but they were teeny tiny. They were small. They were like, Betty called them sneezes. They were sneezy orgasms, right? I used to call them peaks and I would go up, up, up. And then I would just kind of fall off. I didn't have a big, huge release. And I had lowered my own pleasure ceiling. When you start to chase orgasm, it's like a cheetah. It's just going to go like running away from you as fast as it can. The way to have bigger, better, more full orgasms is to follow the tendrils of pleasure in your body rather than chasing the orgasm. And you're simply saying to yourself, what would make this feel even better in this moment? And now in this moment, and now in this moment, right? What would make this feel even better? Not, oh, I'm taking too long. I need to get to orgasm or, oh my God, what if I lose my erection? So a million other things that come to mind for us around orgasm. But I think one of the most important pieces is don't chase it. And the other piece is they don't fall from the sky. So you really do have to take some action not to chase the orgasm, but take some action to allow yourself to open to more pleasure. And the things that I typically talk about are mindfulness, where are we focusing our attention? Movement, how much movement are we inviting into the body? Mindfulness, movement, breath, sound, touch and talk, how we talk to ourselves and how we talk to others. Yeah, I'm curious about that talk to others piece, communicating with your partner that you're you're thinking like, oh my God, I'm taking too long. You're going to give up on me. And that's, I guess, kind of the purpose of a fake orgasm is to be like, you did it, buddy. Yay. Good job. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and, and I don't want to have sex anymore. So I want to go to sleep. Okay. Now I paid that water bill. I can just go to sleep. Right. People talk about it. Like you got to pay the water meter. It's obligations. And it's also, it's for the other person. That's right. Yeah. What would the conversation look like for somebody to tell their partner, you know, it it might take me a minute or I might not come and I still want to play with you. Open, honest, vulnerable conversation. I used to be afraid to tell my partner some of these things. And then I slowly worked at the courage and started telling my partner. And then what happened was I was saying it in a way that was shutting him down because I would say like, oh, I don't like that or don't touch that or don't do that, right? It was all negative. Mm. So learning to say, and I had to practice this, I still practice this, that feels good and this would feel even better in the moment is awesome. And then talking about your sex both before and or after is that opportunity to say, you know, I sometimes have a hang up that it takes me too long or I feel like if I have to pee in the middle of having sex, you're going to feel badly because you're going to lose your erection and that's going to be frustrating, right? So having those sorts of conversations where we talk about like what's happening in our sex life and not being afraid to ask for what we want and say what's happening for us is a big piece of creating more authentic intimacy and connection. What you just were referring to is this thing about like I'm performing for my partner and they I'm I'm also not only am I performing for my partner, but I am by not asking for what I want, I'm training them to do something that I actually might not like. They're getting the signal, oh, she likes this or he likes this. So I'm going to do more of that. And before you know it, nobody's getting what they want. And everybody's in this negative play acting, you know, experience when it could be so great if we were just honest about what we wanted. 
Why do you think it's so hard to tell people what you actually want in the bedroom? You know, there's a huge list of why don't we ask for what we want. There's guilt, there's shame, there's trauma, there's uh, religious conditioning, family conditioning, indoctrination. Sometimes there's pain. We don't have any practice. Nobody has modeled this for us. I'm afraid if I ask for it and I don't get it, what does that mean? What are the, what's the meaning? What are the stories I make up about that? What does that say about me? And then the things that we do instead, we hide, we become passive aggressive, we pretend we don't want it, we uh, substitute with alcohol, drugs, food, other people, right? You name it. That's sort of all the kind of shadowy behavior that are adaptive survival mechanisms that we use that keep us safe and that help us in the world. But when it comes to sex, they become ways of hiding. They lend themselves to inauthentic connection that just doesn't feel juicy or fulfilling or nourishing for most of us. It plays out in people's lives in so many ways. It does. And it's related to so much more than our sex lives. It's related to our relationships with our parents, our friends, our children, our colleagues, our employers. And what's so exciting about that, I think, is that when you start to work on your sex life, some of my clients, they'll come to me. They're like, I just want to work on this one little thing, right? This one little thing connected. I want to have more confidence or I want to have harder erections or I want to, um, you know, learn how to ask my partner for what I want or I want to solve this libido mismatch, whatever it is. They think it's this one little thing, but it's like, you know, you pull on this one little thing. It's like a sweater. It's like a thread in a sweater. You pull on that. And then the next thing you know, like your whole sweater unravels and you're like, how did I get here? But once you start to knit that back together, you find that like you walk through the world differently and you're going to get that raise that you deserve at work. You're going to fix that relationship uh, with your with your parents. You're going to be a better parent to your own kids. You're going to be a better friend. You're going to be a better partner. Right. All of these things, because when you start to work on your sex life, it affects your whole life. It's a it's the it's a vibrancy. Right. That's connected to you. One last question for you. What's your favorite part of doing this work? I am so grateful for the opportunity to share in people's journeys and to help them feel more alive. I have this phrase, saving the world one orgasm at a time, because we often think our sex lives are superfluous. They're extra. They're not important. Pleasure in general is often viewed as Who's got time for that? I'm busy raising my kids. I'm busy making a living. I'm busy paying for food and medicine, right? When we don't allow ourselves to feel pleasure, we're just, we're sort of flat. We're not living our best lives. So I feel very honored to be a witness uh, and be a facilitator in helping people along the journey that I myself am walking. I do this work because I'm on my own healing journey and it's radically transformed how I live my life. And I, I want to help other people light up. And it's like this Olympic torch. That's how I think of it anyway. It's like when you see somebody who is lit up, you're like, oh, I want what they have. And when you see that, that somebody else has confidence and how sexy that is, and you allow yourself to feel lit up as well, that just lights up the next person, right? So we, the more of us who can light up and embrace our healthy, whole, authentic selves, the more we create that in the world. So after that intriguing talk with Amy, what do you think was the very next thing I did? Well, you guessed it. I signed up for her 90-minute masturbation coaching session. I mean, I had to do it and report back, right? 
mm, I'm just going to tell you. Can I just like look at you and tell you what happened? Is that okay? Sure. That's my producer, Parker Edison. I didn't really know how to tell this story other than to just tell it. Uh, so what we do? Okay, so the first thing she did was she had me kind of place an intention on what we were going to do and what I wanted to discover. I didn't really know what I wanted to discover just yet. So uh, we worked on that and figured out that there were some blockages I had been trying to, to work on. So we did this grounding exercise that was really unexpected because I found myself having a really big emotional reaction just with these breathing techniques. So she had me get big and she had me get small. And when I got small, she directed me to think about um, a very specific childhood memory and instant waterworks. I did not expect this. I instantly just started bawling. I stayed in that position for a while and she invited me to just stay there until I was ready to get up. Once I got up, she created this really great space for me to process what had happened. And we did that for a while. And um, honestly, I had been working on trying to find where this blockage had been coming from and not just in sex and like other aspects of my life. And I had been working on this in therapy for a while and here just doing this breathing exercise with this woman over Zoom. And there it was. It was instant. There it was. I finally understood that I had been carrying around with me since I was a little kid, this idea that I'm too loud, too big, my energy's too much. And it was just too much for my really anxious family members. And so I have just been walking around feeling kind of squashed. And then we went into the next stage of things, which was kind of like this erotic guided meditation. For me, she kept reminding me not to endure. Like, if it doesn't feel good, don't endure it. She invited me to turn my camera off. So I turned my camera off and all of a sudden I felt like I was free to just kind of move around and be playful. She guided me through this energy work that... Um, I found myself just like taking my clothes off and dancing around the room, you know, and there was a gardener outside with a leaf blower and he was going around where I was. And I kept thinking like, is he going to be able to see this? <laughs> and that was part of it too for me was like, if he does, I guess he does, whatever, you know, she helped just move this erotic energy through my body and then invited me to touch what I wanted to touch and move how I wanted to move. And by the end of it, I was just giggling. So the whole experience went from being stiff to crying, to having fun and laughing, to just feeling like a veil had been lifted. And I have been kind of more playful in my uh, everyday since that. And I will definitely do it again. In fact, I've already signed up for another one. Your sexuality is for you, with or without others. It can shape how you see yourself and how you move in the world. After hearing these stories, maybe it's a good time for you to ask yourself, what is my sensuality and sexuality when no one is looking? How do I discover and connect with myself sexually? Dig deeper, beautifuls, and know thyself. See you next time. Everybody's Doing It is produced and hosted by me, Miss Lolly, for Bad Form Media. Our executive producer is Parker Edison for Meridian Arts, and our head editor is the talented Chris Reyes. I am so grateful these two don't blush easily. Adrian Villalobos is media production specialist. Lisa Jane Morset is director of audio programming and operations, and John Decker is senior director of content development.
You can subscribe and find our newest episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This programming is made possible in part by the KPBS Explore Content Fund. Have fun out there, beautifuls, and thanks for listening.